Welcome to the Nectar Series Podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Ashley. This podcast is a community building exhibition that collects beautiful stories, sweet like nectar, from members of our community in Jackson County, North Carolina, and uses them to weave a patchwork of narratives that connects each of us through our common past, present, and future. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Gail Woody. Jessica, can you give us some background about Gail? Sure. So Gail Woody actually grew up in Illinois, but she spent every summer in Jackson County uh, from the time that she was five years old. And she loved Jackson County so much that she ended up starting her career here. Uh, She was an elementary art teacher and eventually she retired from teaching in 2016. So that's a long time as a teacher. Uh, And she retired from teaching at Smoky Mountain High School. She is part of the Jackson County Arts Council, and she is a Jackson County Commissioner. She also continues to lead art events at the local library. She and her husband lead caroling in the winter. So she is definitely a fantastic person who is a part of the community in Jackson County. And also, you in our episode, you'll hear Gail reference some of her artwork. Um, Links to her artwork can be found in the show notes, so check those out. And if you want to continue to follow Gail on social media, you can find her at Gail Woody for Jackson County on Facebook. Her artwork is also featured on Facebook under Barkwood Studio. That's something that I really love about this episode, Ashley, is while we were recording it, we were able to see some of her artwork and it is so beautiful. And I it definitely love that captures, part. yes, it captures the spirit of the Smoky Mountains. Yes. And I love just getting that extra lens into where her inspiration comes from as an artist and an educator and um, a politician in the community um, and her connect, her deep connection to sort of the natural habitats and ecosystems here. Exactly. And, and how a lot of what she finds so wonderful about the mountains, the beauty and the nature makes it its way into what she does as a county commissioner. She is so uh, such a big proponent of making sure that the beauty and the nature of this area is protected. Right. And, and something that I'll mention that I really loved hearing um, and getting the chance to do is sort of climb inside her mind and, and understand what it's like to be activist and a politician in this size of a community. When you know so many people and so many people um, see you every day and are depending on you when you're making decisions that shape the community, and, and often those are disparate, uh, you know, feelings and thoughts and opinions that your constituents have. You're seeing them face to face all the time. And so to hear her talk about the ways in which that challenges her and her, um, I think, very positive outlook on how she moves through that challenge um, to, to get some insight on that experience in particular, I thought was really, really cool. It's a really awesome conversation. We hope that you will enjoy listening to this conversation and the stories from city commissioner, artist, teacher, and friend, Gail Woody. We are so excited to be launching our Calliope Summer Camps for 2021. This is a one-week theater camp extravaganza. The first week is June 7th through 12th. This is for first through fourth graders. And the second week is June 14th through 19th. And this is for fifth through eighth graders. Every day there will be singing and acting and dancing classes in the morning, followed by rehearsals for a brand new Calliope show in the afternoon. The cost is $150 per student and there are scholarships available. If you want to find out more information, visit www.calliopestage.com. We can't wait to see you there. Today, we are speaking with Gail Woody. Hi, Gail. Hey. Hello. Hi, Gail. (laughs) We are so excited to be speaking with you today. And I guess I want to start off with a pretty basic question. Why are you in Jackson County? What brought you here? Well, um, unfortunately, I was not born here. Um, I said that just because it's such a beautiful place. Uh, we love it. We love being here so much. I 
came here in 1958. My father was a high school biology teacher in Wheaton, Illinois, where I was born and uh, went to school. And then he was a seasonal ranger in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. So every summer of my life growing up, I came to Jackson County and um, got to live here in the summer. And it was just something that grew some deep roots in my heart. Just love this area. And when I graduated from college uh, with a teaching degree, I applied for teaching jobs and um, was fortunate enough to get one. And actually got it in Swain County, but lived in Jackson County and started teaching in 1974. How great. And, and tell our audience what you predominantly taught. Well, when I started teaching in 1974 in this rural community, there were no art jobs at all. Uh, in fact, there was one art teacher in Swain County, and he taught at Swain County High School. And so I fortunately had a double major elementary ed and visual arts. So um, I was able to start by teaching kindergarten and enjoyed that so much. But back in those days, we taught, uh, we taught PE, we taught art, we taught music, whatever the students had, we taught and we went to lunch with them as well. So it was a different time, but I had 13 students in my class and it was just a wonderful, uh, wonderful opportunity. It was a very rural uh, almond school in Swain County and just a wonderful opportunity to teach the mountain uh, students, and I, I really enjoyed that. So, Gail, what does an art teacher do when leading a PE class? <laughs> Make them move. <laughs> they just move, just move. And, uh, you know, and I realized later that uh, when I did start teaching art at Smoky Mountain High School, we had 90-minute classes, and it was real important to take a break and move. And I think some of those little things that carried over from, from that elementary experience really helped me with high school students as well, because uh, as human beings, we all need to move. It, it gets our blood flowing, the oxygen to our brains, and that really does help us. For sure. I, I know I still need that, especially sitting in front of the computer so much these days. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm sure that's true. Yeah, for all of us. Well, what brought you, I mean, we, we, we talked about, about what brought you here, but why did you stay? What kept you in Jackson County specifically? Well, I always had wanted to live here all year long. Like I said, I just had lived here in the summers and um, worked. My parents ended up buying a campground, the kind for tents and trailers, and um so we, they owned that for, I think, 26 years. And my two brothers and I worked there every summer. So we were outside all the time. And just being in the beauty of, of these mountains just made me want to stay. And so um, that's what really drew me. And then the people, um, I just have such a heart for the people here. They they're such warm, wonderful, creative, amazing people. And it, it was just the place I wanted to be, be home. I have, I have a kind of a follow-up question about when you moved back to the area um, as a teacher. Yes. Um, and you mentioned that arts, well, at least arts instructors weren't um, a, a significant part of the population or the makeup of the education system here at the time. What was that like? Did, did you feel like that was a calling for you to bring that um, to students of the region? Or how does that affect yeah, you now that's, as an artist? That's an excellent question. I, I really do, I always incorporated so much visual arts into my teaching when I was, I taught for three years. In that time, I met my husband. He was a graduate from, of Western Carolina University. And um then we had our first child, and then I stayed home for like 12 years. We had four children in four and a half years, and so stayed. I stayed home with them. 
But as far as that art curriculum, that creative expression is so important for children. It's important for adults. But I felt like I brought so much more to the classroom having that art background because I was able to help students that might have been somewhat reluctant in reading or um, in even in math and things by being able to help them visualize some of the concepts. And uh, growing up with a father who was a biology teacher, um, just the visual expressions of the natural world really helps teach science. And um, I can remember teaching small children about the parts of a fish when we were learning to spell fish. And, and then just talking about the fins and what they did and gills and relating that. And then when students would learn the uh, physical makeup of a fish, they were so much more accurate in their drawing. Now they all look different, you know, their gills and fins would be different, but they had the parts there. And so it really helps children. I think there's so much interdisciplinary opportunities and art translates to all these. And I think sometimes we don't think of that in math so much, but um, if you think about geometry and all those kinds of concepts, it really does. Yeah, of course. What would you say your role in the community is today? Because you're, you're retired from teaching, correct? Yes, I am. And uh, in 19, I mean, sorry, in 2018, I ran for county commissioner. And I was fortunate enough to be elected. And I, I have said this to many people, I really believe it was my former students who, uh, high school students who rallied behind me and really promoted me on social media. I was so fortunate. One of my former students, April Parker, had just finished her master's but was writing her dissertation from Harvard Business School and said, I'll do your social media for you. And oh my goodness, that was such a gift because that is not my thing. Uh, you know, I was barely on Facebook and she goes, Mrs. Woody, no one's on Facebook now. Everyone's on Instagram. <laughs> Didn't you hear? Yeah, yeah. So she helped me a lot. And those students just uh, getting out the vote really helped me a lot. And the thing I think my role as, as far as in this community, the first leadership role I had, I was president of the Jackson County Arts Council for a few years and just enjoyed so much connecting with the different artistic expressions, whether it was literary arts, theater arts, um, visual arts, musicians. And so trying to translate that then into a county role where we certainly want to encourage the arts, but we also have to look at socioeconomic issues, needs in our community. But the connections that I made through teaching and my work with the Arts Council have really benefited with the county commission. So I guess my role, I see, I guess I see myself kind of as a advocate for the people of our community. And so what, what was that moment where you had that desire to be an advocate um, in the community and you connected that to the idea of running for that county commissioner position. What was that moment like for you to make that decision? Well, I have to give credit to my, my husband. He said, um, I was complaining about how negative people were. Now, this was 2018. And unfortunately, it's kind of gotten worse in 2020. But 2018, and I said, I, I'm, people are so negative, and there's just so many wonderful people in our community and wonderful opportunities. And he said, Gail, you have been talking about running for public office. He said, if you're going to do it, you better do it now. You're not getting any younger. <laughs> did, you, did you say, how rude, no. sir? I said, you know what? I said, you're absolutely right. 
<laughs> and um, so anyway, I was 66 then and now I'm 68, but he was right. And it was the right time. It was the right time. And going, going off of that, as an advocate in the community, how do you connect with people in the community? Oh, that's an excellent question. It really takes an effort because I think all of us have our natural connections through the things that our hobbies, our church community, our work community, our neighborhood, you know, where our community where we live. So we have those natural connections. And if you really want to serve the community effectively, you have to make the effort to get to know some people that maybe you wouldn't naturally come in contact with. So one of the things that I realized I had started when I retired, I started volunteering at um, United Christian Ministries, which is our uh, food pantry here in Jackson County. And I realized that that was so important because I was running, I was coming in contact weekly. I worked there every Monday morning and I was coming in contact weekly with people that I would not come in contact with in my everyday life. And that was real important. And then I also realized that there is a real important segment of the population who are doing things like volunteering at the volunteer fire department or say the veterans and those kind of things. So what I've tried to do is connect with those people, find out when they're having a meeting and show up. Right. Now, when I was campaigning, um, I did a lot of that with two other commissioners that were very gracious. Uh, They were incumbents. They were running also to uh, continue on serving Jackson County. And they uh, graciously kind of included me. And so the three of us kind of ran as a team and they took me around to a lot of of different organizations and groups. And I said to my husband when I came home one evening, I said, I need to continue reaching out to these people because I don't wanna be one of those people that just shows up when they're campaigning. Right or asking for money, you know, those kinds of things. So I've made the effort. And um, for instance, yesterday I went up to Cashers and visited the volunteer fire department there, said, how are things going? We had just approved for them to buy some land to expand their services. Cashers is really growing recently. Um, A huge influx of, of home buyers and people building. So the, volunteer fire department needs more space and so we i went up talked to the the chief and um said you know this is great he showed me the piece of land they bought and you know just that connection and saying what else are some things that might be going on went by the chamber of commerce and then talked to uh some just people that work up there in different situations and those are the kind of things where you just have to make the effort to go see some of the people that maybe you wouldn't necessarily go and see. Right. Getting, getting outside our comfort zones is yes. rewarding, right? Yes, it is. It is. I want to transition a little bit to your work as, as an artist and as a creative person. So what is your creative zone? Where do you find yourself being the most creative in your life? I think that I've talked to several of my art teacher friends who uh, have had this same, we call it the art teacher syndrome, I guess, is that because when you're teaching art, especially on the high school level, you teach all these different medium. You teach some drawing and some painting and printmaking, ceramics. You want the students exposed because they might not ever know where their expertise lies or their creative energy evolves from so we tend to jump from one medium to the next and um i would suppose that would happen maybe to theater majors you know going from musical theater to comedy to drama to tragedy i don't know but you know it and what i realized when i retired is i had this time and energy now and i really wanted to focus 
so that I could improve my skill level. Because if you jump from one thing to the next, you're not really delving into that medium and exploring its full potential. So I started to focus on printmaking. But then I kind of delved a little bit. <laughs> I love ceramics. And so <laughs> what I did was I made um, some, I carved into linoleum. And, and this is one, I just decided I'd show y'all because it's a little hard. Of course, this won't show on the podcast, but it's a salamander and it's a linoleum print and I printed it on wasp nest paper. Now this is paper ah. I made grinding up a paper wasp nest. Oh, there are wasps called paper wasps and they're the big uh -huh. gray nest that you see that have that thin paper like coating. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, Gail, you can come to my house and take all the ones that are up by our roof. Well, now those, those aren't the ones <laughs> that, <laughs> they don't make as pretty a paper as the big, you okay, know what I'm talking okay. about, the big ones yes. that are usually in trees and they're usually high up in trees. But anyway, so this paper, if I can get, I don't know where the camera That's is. That's so beautiful. Anyway, and the paper is just beautiful paper. So then I take that same piece of linoleum and I compress it into clay tile. And then I have a tile and oh, then I glaze neat. it. So it's the same salamander image. And we have a little creek that runs through our property and we have salamanders in there. And the subject matter of almost all my artwork is the natural world. I'm so inspired by by the beauty of God's creation. And just, I feel like that we as, as people, I believe we're created in God's image. And part of that image is create that our ability to create and that we get, we feed ourselves emotionally, spiritually, mentally, when we create and that it, it expresses itself very differently in different people. But I think that we, most everybody has, has this desire and ability to create. And some, some it's cooking, you know, it could be sewing, it could be wood, you know, just lots and lots of different ways. But uh, I had an artist friend, Linda Cotilla, one time, and it was cold in the winter and it was snowing. And she said she sent her husband out, he was a contractor builder, to get some wood for the wood stove. And she said the fire started getting lower and lower and she was cold and she couldn't, where in the world is she? And she said she went out of the back porch and he had taken the chainsaw and started carving a chair out of this piece of wood. He looked at this piece of wood and saw a chair and just got so caught up in carving this piece of wood into a chair that, and, and she said, you know, she couldn't fuss at him because this chair was amazing that he was carving out of this piece of wood with a chainsaw. <laughs> and so oh, what she wow. did, she said, I just picked up the pieces he'd carved off and went and put them in the wood stove. But you know, I do believe that there's so many ways to be creative. And so I personally get my inspiration from nature and the beauty of plants and animals and, and uh, the plants and animals of North Carolina, of our, of our mountains. This is a print that I don't know if you can see. I made, um, these are four different blocks that flow from one to the next. And I have a bear and a, um, this is a blue heron in the Tuckasegee River. And then uh, the mountains and a moon. I call it moon over bear mountain. I love that. But um, this is a linoleum print. And um, I have had so much fun with this. I always wanted to make one where one print flowed from one to the next so that they're, and these four blocks do that. And you can use them in different combination. Then I could print just these two or just these two, you know, and that kind of thing. So um, I have had a lot of fun doing that. That looks not only fun, but you're very talented, Gail. Oh, well, you're yes. sweet to say that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to find a way for listeners um, um, to connect and see the visual. We'll, we'll drop it, oh, yeah. um, we'll, we'll drop it in the, the, the bio underneath. 
Okay. That'll be great. So, <laughs> yeah. so Gail, with this, you're, you're so talented, not only in art, but, but with, as, as you were saying, with connecting to people in the region, can you tell us what your gift has been to Jackson County these years? Well, I, I almost feel like that might be better to ask somebody else, but, um, you know, it's hard when you're thinking about yourself. I think the, the, the biggest gift I have is the love that I have for the people and the natural resources of this community. When I was running for office, one of my main platforms was the environment. I just feel it's so important. And, and of course, my father had a huge influence on that. And then just the beauty of it and creating it with my artwork. You know, if we don't have clean water, we don't have salamanders, for instance. Right. They, they don't live in polluted water. Um, if we don't have um, places in our habitat for uh, the, the bear to live, you know, we're just not going to have these amazing animals that we can see. Mm -hmm. And, and also, um, when I was young here, the Tuckaseegee River was very polluted. There were no blue herons in the Tuckaseegee then, because they eat trout, there was no trout. And um, now, because of the Clean Water Act, and the, the river being cleaned up, we have this amazing uh, trout fishing, the blue heron have returned. And, and so it's a very wonderful, I think, metaphor for understanding how government can interact with people in a very positive way. We often see it as negative and it can be at times. I mean, I admit that, but there's also this wonderful opportunity to um, benefit our community. And I love our community. I love our people. And, um, I think that's the biggest thing I have to offer. I love that. What a great answer, Gail. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah. What, what do you believe the community has given to you? What have you gained from living in this area? I feel the, the biggest thing I have gained is the rich and real way that mountain people approach life. They are very generous and very thoughtful. And um, if they're treated re with respect, and I think what has happened, you know, there's all these different stories we've heard over time of, of uh, you know, mountain people. Some, somebody would say, oh, you know, they just as soon shoot you as look at you or something like that. And, and I think that what has happened is that sometimes when people have moved into this community, they have kind of acted like uh, disdainful of the lack of a mall or, you know, where's, where's the, the big fancy restaurant chain or something like that. And instead of seeing this area as so rich in its natural beauty and the way that the, the mountain people have been so creative in, in living with um, not, not for many years, not a lot of outside influence. And I would be remiss if I didn't um, say, you know, our first, the original citizens here were the Cherokee people. And teaching at Smoky Mountain High School, I had so many wonderful Cherokee students, very talented. In fact, one of my students asked me one time, why all the Cherokee were such good artists? And I said, well, you know, I, I said, no, we really don't want to stereotype that, you know, but the truth is that I think a lot of Native people are more in touch with their creative expression with their hands, and it's been a time-honored uh, work for them. And it wasn't necessarily just male or female doing it. It was, you know, men uh, carved and um, women carved, and men did ceramics and women did ceramics. And so there wasn't that differentiation so much, I think, way back by gender roles as we have maybe in um, the Caucasian community. And so, so many of these students, their grandmothers taught them 
how to do some of these things. And I had one, uh, Dustin Wolf, who was amazing carving masks. And I, you know, I said, Dustin, this is just amazing how you do this. He said, well, my uncle taught me. And, you know, he watched his uncle and started at a young age. I think I've learned so much from the Native American students, the Cherokee students on valuing their culture and celebrating that culture. And then also um, just learning so much from um, the way they respect our natural resources. They really do in many ways. Hello listeners, Calliope Stage has a really exciting event coming up we want to tell you about. In August, we'll be presenting our very first live theatrical production outdoors in downtown Silva, North Carolina. We believe the majesty of the Appalachian Mountains houses a tremendous opportunity for new theater. And in August, we will show you exactly what we mean. 23 artists have worked three months to create 10 new original shorts or short pieces of theater. And each of these shorts uh, tells a story rooted in our Western North Carolina region. These writers, historians, choreographers, composers, musicians, and the list goes on, have created some really dynamic pieces, and we cannot wait to share Calliope Shorts with you, our audience and supporters, first, right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. So check out our website to learn more and reserve your tickets for those first two weekends in August. They are limited due to COVID-19 seating arrangements, but you definitely don't want to miss this. And we cannot wait to see you at the theater. You know, part of the exploration of this podcast is um, to, to discover or have conversations about um, the all of the different individuals that make up the fabric of our community. And I wanna go back to talking about citizens who choose to move here and citizens that were born and raised here and native to the area. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what you see that balance is? Because Jackson County is growing. Yes. And so what is that balance of maintaining the integrity of its roots, its cultural roots? There's more than one cultural root. Yes, absolutely, sure. and um, the new perspectives and ideas that are moving to the area because they find, you know, the geography beautiful, the people amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is such an excellent question. And it's one that we as a board of county commissioners have, have discussed frequently, and especially in light of racial disparity, because um, as you probably are aware in Jackson County, say right now, uh, we have 2% African-American, very small. And um, yet the African-American population, well, right at the Civil War, we had, I think, uh, 230 slaves. Now, I shouldn't have maybe said that number. I think it was right under 300, somewhere in there. But we did have slaves in Jackson County. Those descendants of, of those uh, slaves live here in Jackson County. Some, some of them do. Some obviously have moved on, but that's a part of our culture that we want to be very respectful of. And Ashley, to answer your question, I think that it's so easy to say this, but it's so important is respect for us to be able to say that part of our cultural heritage is important. Those African-American people, their music, the quilts they made, um, the way that they form things to uh, make a, a life in a very, very hard situation for them was very important. And so to celebrate that, we want to make sure we respect that. And um, m- there was a Mr. Bryson here that owned slaves and um, his descendants, last name is Bryson. And we have Bryson Park, which is uh, a playground where some of the African-American people live in Jackson County. So we, we want to be respectful of those things as well. And then um, as far as our, our Cherokee people, they were the first citizens 
we live on land that belonged to the Cherokee. And in, if we're honest, that was taken dishonestly. It was taken away from them. So to be respectful of that, just the names of our community, Tuckasegee River, Ukunalufti River, Cullowee, you know, these are all areas uh, that have names that, that are Cherokee in origin and have value and, and are very important in our community. So we have a lot of the art that really illustrates that cultural heritage and to celebrate that. And I love the fact that Western Carolina University's Art Museum has a collection of, of Cherokee art, contemporary and um, some of the older pieces. And then the Museum of the Cherokee Indian has a very extensive collection of Cherokee art and artifacts. And I would have their um, artists come to my classroom. Joel Queen came and did ceramics. Eva Reed did basket making. It was uh, very important to me to have the Cherokee elders come. And then we did this project, which I wish I could show you close up, but these are prints that my students did of Cherokee uh, of animals and um, and then it's in Cherokee syllabary. And so these are prints that the students did. And then these, this is a one that they did a bear. All these are linoleum prints. And then we had wonderful. Um, a man named, he was a professor at Western. He's gone on to Louisiana State. Frank Brennan, he was printmaking professor and he had the Cherokee syllabary in printing. So um, just to show you some, I just want to show you one that's quite amazing of this. Um, they have, here's fish and, and it's very simple. The fish in Cherokee is just this syllabary symbol. So the students, I would have them make this and they really got so excited. Um, I thought this one was so interesting. The student did a bear and then did syllabary things like on Juddakula Rock. Oh, interesting. And so I think what this illustrated, and this was a student that was a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee. So they would, by making this book, they were able to celebrate their culture. And then all the students were able, um, here's um, a deer. <laughs> and so anyway. Um, it, it, it's uh, 40 pages, but there's all these different um, beautiful, oh, this, this one, somebody really, that was a I real common, um, and then this spider we put on the cover, and this was done by one uh, Cody Thompson, who's an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation, and he, that's their symbol, their spider is one of their very important symbols, and in their creation story as well. So those kinds of things, as a teacher, it gave me the opportunity not only to bring in guests, artists, but to celebrate that culture with our students. Mm -hmm. And the students that had moved here from Florida or, you know, wherever they moved here, learned about the richness of that cultural heritage and were able to find ways to express it as well. Right. So with your you have such a broad perspective. I mean, being in the schools and being an educator, being an advocate in the community, being a political figure in the community. So with your breadth of vision there, um, I'm just interested in your thoughts on how as a community, we can all continue or, or begin pulling up to the table together and and gathering together to create that balance and learn from each other and um, continue to sort of uplift the richness, the cultural richness of the area, both the roots and those that are bringing new cultures in as well. I really uh, appreciate that and that question because that's something I've been asking myself a lot as far as when we've talked about this racial disparity. I've had citizens say to me, oh, there's, there's no racism in Jackson County. Well, that's not true. Um, I saw it as a teacher and um, 
I saw it from some students and I saw it from some coworkers and I always addressed it immediately. And um, I think that the important thing is to sit and listen to each other and talk about those things that we have in common. And I think the arts is a wonderful vehicle for this. Let's just say music, for instance. And somebody moves here from maybe um, Memphis, and they're, you know, they've been exposed to the jazz and the blues of Memphis. And to share that with our students here or our, our citizens here can be so rich. And then we have our junior Appalachian musicians, the jam program here in Jackson County Schools. And I love it. One of the professors, um, Dr. Uh, Silva, and he's from Indonesia, and his three children are in the jam. In fact, his oldest daughter now is a teacher. She went through the jam program, and she's in high school, but she is now teaching fiddle. She teaches fiddle to some of these young mountain kids. I think, what a beautiful picture of how we can celebrate and share and respect each other's cultures. So we could take any art form, we could take theater to do that, uh, share different stories, we could take music to do that, we can take visual arts to do that, and I think um, the arts are one of the best vehicles for bringing richness of diversity, not just tokenism, but real appreciation of somebody's culture. Do you think that's true? Yes. As an arts lover. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, no, but no, yeah. I think you're hitting on I do, something because that I believe in my yes. soul yes. that um, the, the arts can be such a mechanism for connection. And un- honestly, that, that's part of our mission too at Calliope. Um, that's part of our foundational belief. And, and so I, I do agree with you. And I, I really respect that answer and think that there could be something wonderful in that, um, you know, if it were ever a concerted effort in the community. Yeah. Well, and one example, when I was, um, I guess I was six or seven years old and went to see Unto These Hills for the first time. And it told the story of the Cherokee. And I realized I was sitting there as a white child realizing that my ancestors had taken this land away from the first people that were here and how sad that was and um, two summers ago we took all of our grandchildren to unto these hills because my husband and i said we want our our children and grandchildren to understand the history of this community and and this story and theater is such a powerful way to do that and communicate the truth of and and it's not always uh, pleasant or unhappy um two of our granddaughters were just crying through that it it's you know it's very very uh impactful and i thought how powerful that we the art this art form can share this story and then, and then not being afraid to have the conversation after yes, that experience. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So we, what we do we do now? Even, right? Yeah. And we could, we even said, you know, what do we do now? What do we do now about that? Well, we, we need to be very respectful of the Cherokee culture and, and its place in our current community. Yes, I 100% agree with that. I, I want to continue in, in this vein a little bit and ask you about how your role as a teacher, as a mother, as a grandmother, as an advocate, mm-hmm. as a political figure, all of, these, all of these things that you are in this community, how has that been challenging at times? What, what about the community has maybe been challenging for you? The very hardest thing is when I feel required to make a decision that I know is going to either disappoint or discourage some of the constituents. 
you know, you, you can't please everybody all the time because some decisions have very conflicting resolutions. You, there's, there's no middle ground. I would love it if we could just find the middle ground of everything, but the, it's just not life. And that has been very hard. But what I found is that if I am respectful and honest, then most everybody understands. They don't agree with me and they're still disappointed and maybe hurt, but at least if I'm honest and listen to what they want, then I find that we can at least communicate. And I feel in our current culture politically, that's the biggest barrier right now is people are not listening. They're just wanting to talk and they react. They'll see something and write something on Facebook or, or call their friends or whatever, instead of saying now, what, what do you mean by that? Or, um, one of the questions I had a very wise person tell me, they said, Gail, when someone's really angry with you, say, um, well, what would you like me to do to address this situation? And it's so interesting because I've done that a few times with some people that were pretty emotionally charged and they'll stop and they'll think, sometimes they're not sure. Now, sometimes they know right away and they want me to do it right now. But sometimes you can't, you know, you can't. And um, so what I found is if I really, if I, and then be honest, I'm sorry, I can't do that. By law, I can't do that. Is there anything else I could do? Because I hear your concern and it matters. Is there anything else I can do? And then sometimes we can take one little step. And that's where we have to start. I think it's not okay for me to say, oh, it's just too big. There's nothing I can do. That's not okay. They are big, but we can take one step. Right. And and what a beautiful legacy too to, to leave is even if the problem doesn't get solved, at least it's one step closer. That's what I hope. That's what I hope. Yes. That's great. Um, Mm -hmm. What can this, community do for you? How can you feel supported by the people of Jackson County? What, what can, what can this company do for you? Like a, a startup oh, theater company, sweet. what can we be doing <laughs> to help you out? Well, people, it's so interesting you say that because people have asked me that a few times. One thing I think is to express to me what their concerns are. And, you know, that's, that's really you know, even some of my friends that I've known a long time and, and, you know, they don't ever say much about my role because, you know, we're, we've just been friends and we have other things we talk about. And, and I'll say, well, you know, is there something you're concerned about? Um, uh, I went today to this group called disability partners. And I said, you know, are there any things that are a concern to you? Well, it turns out the lady there uh, is working Um, most of the people are working from home distance, you know, working like a lot of people are now with COVID, but she comes in because she can't get Wi-Fi at her house and they're allowing her to bring her daughter who's in fifth grade because she can't get Wi-Fi. And so she's doing school while her mom's at work. And, and so I said, so Wi-Fi is a huge concern. She said, absolutely. I said, you know, we're working hard on that. And we are, and that is one where you just take one step at a time, but we are making some steps. It's huge. And, and yet we are making some steps. So one thing I I do want people to say is what are some things that I can do that might help? And then uh, other thing I say to people, and I mean this sincerely, you can pray that I'll have wisdom because, you know, I don't know all the answers. (laughs) that's for sure. And I need wisdom. And I love it when people um, 
share things. I've learned so much from young people, from older people. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from people and I love it when they share their wisdom with me. That's wonderful, Gail. Gail, just, just as a follow-up to that, because I'm, I'm curious, do you have something that you think that maybe your views have changed because of something that you've learned from the people of this community? Mm-hmm. Maybe since you, you've moved mm-hmm. here and, and today you think kind of differently about that situation? You know, I guess, um, yes, I think one of the things that changed a lot is I, like I said, I've come here since 1958. So I kind of, even though I wasn't born here and I'm not a native, <laughs> native person, I feel, you know, I've had four children here. Um, my husband and I next month will be, have been married 45 years. You know, it's, so it's a long time, but well, thank you. But the thing is that I used to not want more people to come. <laughs> right. Keep it to yourself. Well, it's a yeah. rural, you know what I loved about yeah. it. I mean, and 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 to put this in context, I grew up right outside Chicago. Lots and lots of people loved coming here, where there was so much natural beauty and not so many people. Now lots of people are coming, and what I realize is that most of these people are bringing their wonderful richness of their stories, their creativity. I, I mentioned that we, I volunteer at United Christian Ministries. We have two ladies and, and they're both older than, no, one's younger. One's in her 60s and one's in her 70s and, and like I'm 68. But they came, moved here and within a month of moving here, they started volunteering. How wonderful is that? They said, you know, we want to be a part of this community. We want to volunteer. One lady's from Florida and one moved from Georgia. And they are bringing this richness to our community. And they have great stories, you know, their lives and what they've done. And I realized, and then some of these young people like Ashley, like, you know, we we all love Sadie and Dustin Whitehead. And what they brought to our community was just so wonderful. So I think that's the biggest thing that's changed Mm -hmm. is for my attitude to be one of embracing this influx of people. And how can we help them become part of this community where there's give and take? And when we do that, we're all going to be richer. We're all going to be more, uh, more fulfilled, more creative, have more opportunities. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Gail. Well, I hadn't thought of that until you asked me, <laughs> Jessica. So, I mean, really, I, that, that's just what came to me. And I, it's, it's so true. That's great. Yeah. Now, I'll have to say this. My husband still wants to live in a place where he cannot see his neighbors. <laughs> So we, and we still, we can't, you can still find no, no, that. Yeah, here. we do. We, we just, we just have our house and we cannot see our neighbors. There you go. So. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess a final question to wrap things up, Gail, is going back to this question of what do you love about Jackson County? The people. And then the, the natural beauty. That's great. Those two things. Can I say two? Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. I guess. They do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, can I just tell one more little story? Of okay. Yesterday on the way back from Cashers, um, uh, I went with another commissioner, Commissioner Dietz, and um, he grew up here. His family goes way back. And we stopped and saw um, a couple, John and Frida Leopard in Tuckaseegee and they, their family goes way back and they're in their eighties, uh, I think early eighties, but they are the most amazing people. When we pulled up into their yard, now you, you picture this, they're in their eighties and he retired from working for Duke energy. When it, he started, when it was Nana Halo power and light, and he told this story about when they built the Glenville power plant. You know, they dammed up Lake Glenville 
and they were running um, in these turbines and um, they had one of the big turbines go out. And that was our electricity source at that time. We weren't connected to Duke Energy with all this big grid. You know, it was just Nanahala Power and Light. And he was telling this story about how um, he'd helped build those, um, those turbines and everything when it started. So he'd worked there a long time and everything. And when they, one went out and I think, and I hope I'm telling this right, but someone came from Charlotte to, to see what was going to, what they could do about putting it back together. And he comes in and looks around and, uh, he said, Oh my, he said, we're going to have to get some engineer, you know, to come in here. We just can't, uh, I just can't figure this out. And, you know, he, and then this, uh, John Leopard says he had his big degree from Duke university and, uh, but he couldn't figure it out. And he said, they looked over at me and they said something about, uh, they just didn't know what to do. And he says, I know what to do. They said, you do. And he said, yeah. And he says, I just took a little bit of time and just told them what we had to do. And they looked at each other and they said, well, John, you just go ahead and do that. And he said, you know, and he'd never been to college, but he had worked, he, you know, he's just a brilliant, brilliant man, but so grounded in this, in this community. And um, he and his wife, she, they had been collecting firewood because it's going to get cold. And now she's in her eighties. And I said, Oh, Frida, I said, we have a wood stove. I just love it. And she said, there's nothing like wood heat is there. She said, we put in a heat pump. We don't even use it. She said, and then she got out her, all the things she'd can this, this, um, this winter. And I mean, this fall, and she was telling me about her potatoes and one of her potatoes, she said was so big. And she said, I'm not lying to you. I made a whole pot of mashed potatoes from one potato. Now, <laughs> but anyway, this is the kind of people that we are just so one. It's just so wonderful. But if you don't take the time to go visit, we sat on their front porch and we all had masks on. All four of us had masks on because they're elderly and we just have to be careful. Right. But um, we sat on the porch and just shared these stories. And that's, that's why I love Jackson County. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's a great, great story. For Thank that. you so much, Gail, for joining us today. It is, I, I know that you said that you're, um, that you were on Instagram for your campaign. Is there a place? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> right. I'm not, I haven't been on that's, I haven't been on it much since. That's but, fine. Oh, is, is there yeah. a place that our listeners can keep up with you? Well, um, I, I have been a little slack. But yes, there is Gail Woody for Jackson County on Facebook. Great. And I do need to post uh, some things. There's not too much on there right now. But I, I will. But Gail Woody for Jackson County on Facebook. Great. Mm -hmm. And what about your art? Where can we find or see your art? Okay, if we want that to is on um, Facebook on Barkwood Studio. My maiden name's Barker, and I'm Woody now, so I I call it Barkwood Studio on Facebook. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Excellent. <laughs> oh my goodness, Gail, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for spending oh, this time been... with us. <laughs> well, you're so welcome. It's been delightful. The Nectar Series podcast is brought to you by Calliope Stage and Anchor. Logo designed by Zachary Alexander. Music by Susan Pepper and Taylor Harris. And editing by Daniel Stanley. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow Calliope Stage on Instagram and Facebook at Calliope Stage. For more updates and ways to join our community, visit www.calliopestage.com. Today's episode of the Nectar Series is brought to you by Anchor. Our mission here at the Nectar Series is to share stories. Use Anchor to elaborate. Anchor provides you with the tools to tell it all. 
Not only do they provide unlimited free hosting for your podcast, Anchor supports your podcast with blog entries and answers questions on monetization and making your podcast fun and entertaining. Visit anchor.fm to find everything you need to make a podcast all in one place for free. That's anchor.fm.